Good morning and welcome to another edition of the Standing Room Only Podcast. Yes, I'm your host, Ben Standing, and I cover the Washington Commanders for The Athletic. And you know what that means, what I've been up to this week, tracking down everything that's been going on up on Capitol Hill as Roger Goodell testified before the House Oversight Committee while Dan Snyder was, of course, famously not in attendance. Uh, His yacht parked off the south of France while this committee was not only uh, releasing uh, findings into their investigation of Dan Snyder and the Washington organization, but also Chairwoman Carolyn Maloney saying that she intends to subpoena Dan Snyder to a, come to a deposition. She's suggesting as early as next week. I have some doubts whether that will actually happen. Certainly not next week, or at least I wouldn't think so. But we're going to talk about some of these things for sure. Joining me today on the podcast, attorney Stephanie Weisenberger, who's got a background in sports and entertainment law. I've talked to Stephanie now a couple of times doing the radio, thought she was really uh, good and informative, and asked her if she would come over here to to join me. So we spoke yesterday, a day after Wednesday's hearing. I'm talking to you on Friday morning. And a really good breakdown, and I understand that some of this can get a little bit fatiguing, no doubt, okay, no doubt. We all, people just want to hear talk about football. How does Carson Wentz look? What's Jahan Dotson going to do for the offense? I get that, but this is obviously a, a huge deal because it affects all, it affects everything. Ron Rivera is issuing statements this week uh, talking about what's happening here, so it is a big deal. Obviously, it's a big deal, you get that, but, you know, it's something we do need to discuss, and of course, this is also a bit of a lull with the team, they ended their uh, off-season program last week. But we're going to talk a little bit of football, though, as well, because joining me also on the podcast today is Washington Commanders rookie tight end Cole Turner. Had a chance to catch up with Cole uh, just to talk about his first his first rookie camp. What you know his expectations, what he's been learning, what's it been like working with Carson Wentz, and we talked about the hair. I mean, come on. Got, 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 got to do something. So a fun chat with Cole Turner for sure. So we'll get to all that and more here on the Standing Room Only podcast. Plus, I'll, I'll I'll do a couple quick thoughts here about Chase Young and some of the injury situations Washington's dealing with. And yes, the Wizards made uh, the Wizards had made a first round pick yesterday. You know, I'm going to have to say something. So we'll get to all that in a second here on the Standing Room Only podcast, which of course you can find on iTunes, Spotify, or anywhere else. You do your podcasting. Um, also, read me over on The Athletic. Par- I have part one of my final observations from the offseason program up. Part two will be up, I believe, on Monday. We were going to run it this week, but with everything else that was happening, we decided just to hold off. So part one, uh, you can go check out right now. Includes car- things about Carson Wentz, how Jamin Davis has looked, the depth on defense, and more. Part two will include things along the lines of uh, the Buffalo Nickel, Deron Payne, why he matters more than just the contract talk, and a bunch, uh, a, a bunch more. Uh, so, and also just some sort of like bullet point notes on some on some players, including uh, rookie running back Brian Robinson. So we'll get to all that coming up on the Athletic. Um, I, let's dive into a few things here. We will get to the matter of Congress, Dan Snyder, and Roger Goodell with Stephanie. We'll dive more in. To, to that, I think it's now game on between the committee and Dan Snyder's attorneys as to whether or not he testifies uh, under oath before the before the committee or not. So we'll see how that goes. But again, we'll talk more about that in a few moments with uh, our guest. Um, just to go talk about the team for a little bit, I do in my upcoming piece on the site talk about Washington's injuries. And yeah, it's true that one positive about the OTAs and minicamps Far as we know, they didn't suffer any significant injuries uh, during this process, which is great. Obviously, at a very basic level, the number one goal when you have any type of on-field work is no injuries. And I'm not talking about Curtis Samuel feeling sore, missing time. I mean, for the moment, we're just going to assume that's not that big of a deal, even though I understand the history there for sure. But you know, nothing that big of a deal. But that said... They are already missing three starters because of injuries. And I think based on the information that we received on those starters, I think there is some reason to be concerned about their availability when the season starts. I mean, we can start here with Chase Young. 
Um, I spoke with, uh, this week I spoke with Clint Soppy, who's an orthopedic surgeon at Cedar sinai Curlin Job Institute in Los Angeles. He's also an orthopedic consultant for Major League Soccer's LA Galaxy. And, you know, he has not examined Chase Young. But, you know, I was like, hey, here's some of the information that we've been, we've received, that Chase Young had a graft done on his patella tendon from his non-injured knee to help the other knee. And what do you kind of, the, the one where, they, where he had an ACL tear. So what do you kind of make of, of that? And, and, and Sapi said that he thought it was, quote, a little bit surprising because such a procedure is not typically done unless the individual has an issue with the patella tendon of the affected leg. Now he doesn't think this necessarily adds more time to a to a recovery timeline, but he pointed out that a recovery timeline typically for an ACL is nine to twelve months, and I would say that we all keep typically operating on a nine month uh, standard deal, right? Because of the fact that it does seem like players, you know, straightforward ACL tears. I'm sure there's no such thing as a truly straightforward thing, but you know what I mean the ones we see guys come back from all the time, that that's more of a, a nine-month thing. And I did ask if he thinks that based on what he knows or what that this procedure occurred, does that change anything? And he said he doesn't think so, but, you know, it could mean a little extra time versus, like, maybe it doesn't get to nine months, maybe it's a little bit later. And obviously, a nine- to 12-month recovery may not seem like necessarily a huge time, but we know an NFL season is only roughly, you know, four months. So Chase Young, a nine-month recovery, puts him back sort of end of August, beginning of September. Um, And you heard, you know, we had Logan Paulson on here the other day. He said that he's concerned that Chase Young could miss as much as like half the season based on whoever he's talked to. I don't think he's talking to people in the building, but more like people he knows in the medical world from having been a player. So I say all that to note that, yes, it's true that they didn't have any injuries. But I think it is con- uh, something to note that Chase Young may not be ready for week one. And I- I'm not going to sit here and speculate or bet. I-, I don't know. But I think it's probably a little bit more concerning than perhaps the discussion has been over the last few weeks, ever since Chase Young spoke to us a few weeks ago. He's obviously going to be optimistic about it. Ron Rivera, you know, as well. Neither one of them offered anything in the way of a timeline. But to me... It feels like Chase Young missing at least week one. And then obviously, if you start to miss week two, week three, do you start the year on IR? You know, that type of deal. I think that has all got to be in play at this point. Um, to a degree, same thing with Logan Thomas. Now, he was a little more forthright with his situation when he talked about his knee injury. He, he acknowledged that it was an ACL and MCL and meniscus tears. Chase, uh, Logan Thomas said he's, he's hopeful for week one, but he wasn't all in for week one. He said if it doesn't happen, you know, it doesn't happen. Um, I, I think Logan Thomas has a potential uh, fantasy football player to watch this year because of the fact that Carson Wentz really likes throwing to the tight ends. Logan Thomas would be one of the receivers with actual size. That seems to be a benefit for Carson Wentz as well. So I think Logan Thomas is poised to have a pretty good year. But same deal. I don't know when he's going to be back. The fact that he was questioning week one makes me really wonder if an IR stand is possible for him. Again, I don't want to speculate for sure. You know, if you're only going to miss a game or two, then you don't need to go out on IR. But nonetheless, that is something to to note. And as a reminder, I'm not sure we've discussed this much here at all on the podcast. The NFL has changed the rules a little bit. You know, obviously they've been shaking up how IR works in relation to COVID. But now that we're a little bit past, you know, the big you know, the big issues from the last couple of years. The, the new rule is a player must miss at least four games. I believe it was three games last year. Now must miss at least four if they go on IR. Now teams can bring back as many as eight players, um, and, a, and a single player can be brought back at least twice. So there is that. But, you know, again, if, if they go on IR, they would miss at least four games. Now, their other the other player, of course, is Chase Ruye. Chase Ruye also spoke with the media uh, during minicamp. And he acknowledged that he's he went through he's gone through a lot with his rehab. He has a broken fibula, but also he talked about some some damage in his ankle to the bone and the ligaments. And you know, look, I think of the three, I think Chase Ruiz is the least concerning because of the options available. I think West Schweitzer has held up nicely when he's been had when he's been thrust into that position to play center both in, last year and during the season, but also 
here during the offseason. He's just a versatile piece that maybe even starts on the offensive line. We'll see about that. Um, But Chase Rhea is developed into a really good player. He may be the most underrated starter on the entire team. Uh, you know, he's a really solid center that, you know, it's just not a sexy position. Um, and we don't talk about him a ton. He's not even the most you know popular chase on the team. Right. So I, I'm not discounting at all what that could mean. And, and to not have your starting center, they don't even have their backup. Tyler Larson is on IR. Uh, you know, I'm sorry. You know, he's on the side, field, not IR. There's no IR right now, but he's also on the side field recovering from an Achilles injury. We'll see when he's able to to come back. So in theory, Schweitzer is at minimum the third center you also have Keith Ishmael but anyway my point is that while they did come through this without issue they do have three significant players who are battling injuries that we don't know when they will be back and there's at least some of the reason to be concerned that they some or all won't be available for week one well we've got a long way to go before we even get to training camp let alone get ready for the September 11th uh, opener against Jacksonville so plenty could change and obviously if everybody's diligent with their rehab and you know they're blessed with genetics that allows for quicker recovery and and all that, then you know hopefully they're there, and that's you know the goal for all, all involved. But at the same point, I just do think we need to mention, hey, they're not there yet, and it's not. I don't think we can definitively pencil them in as week one, and I think that is important to note. Um, all right, what's also important to note is what happened this week on Capitol Hill. So we're going to get into that right now with attorney Stephanie Weisenberger, who you can follow on Twitter at s Weisenberger with an underscore after that. Following that, we're going to talk to Washington Commanders tight end Cole Turner about what's going on for him. And then I'll cap it off with some quick thoughts on the Wizards. We'll do that next here on the Standard Room Only Podcast. All right, as promised, uh, we're going to talk about everything that happened yesterday in Congress. It had a chance to, to let it sit for a little bit, not just react to what we were feeling in the moment, kind of think about it a little bit, and here to help us think about it a bit more uh, is Stephanie Weisenberger, an, an attorney with a, uh, a focus on sports and entertainment law. She's also part of the uh, Conduct Detrimental podcast. She's also delivers legal thoughts on TikTok. I'm not a TikTok person, <laughs> Stephanie. You probably are not shocked by that, but I just saw that that you're doing that. Is that are you finding? Is there a lot of interesting? I, I almost feel like TikTok and legal doesn't seem to mesh, but I don't really know what goes on on TikTok. So what do I know? Yeah, I mean, TikTok, I feel like, is definitely the new hot social media platform, per se, you could say that. Um, but, but I can't figure out, you know, the algorithms, though. Twitter is just, everything is put uh, kind of how you tweet it out in the order that it's tweeted out. But TikTok, somehow, sometimes I get a lot of views, sometimes I don't. But it's fun to make the videos and kind of see what happens from there. Yeah, no, I mean, look, you got to take advantage of it all. I, I reached a point where beyond... Twitter into Instagram, I tapped out. I tried a couple of the things and just can't get there. So I'm happy when you when everybody puts a TikTok video and lands on me. Great. I, I had a uh, Jay Gruden on the other day, and he uh-huh. said he looks at TikTok because like he'll get like golf tips from like Lee Trevino or like he'll see some like dance moves or something. I don't know. There was a lot going on there, and I was like, wait, Jay Gruden is looking at at uh, TikTok. He has kids, so maybe there's that aspect of it, but. You know, yeah, so I'm, sure there are, I'm sure there's very much so on TikTok if he has kids. That's like all the rage now. <laughs> right, right, right. For, for, for sure. All right. Well, look, all the rage in these parts, I guess, is to discuss the Washington Commanders and what happened in particular yesterday up on, up on Capitol Hill. And by this point, you know, I think a lot of people probably heard or read a lot about the show that was going on there and the, the you know, Dan Snyder not coming and the, the fact that there'll be a subpoena uh, apparently is going to be uh, issued. And we'll get to that aspect in particular. But I, I just wanted to sort of, I, I, you and I have already talked today about this. We did a radio show earlier today. You kindly came yep. on. So we've, we've already had a little bit of a thought. And, I, and I've talked about it more. And I've thought about this. All the, all the various details are important and interesting and maybe some less so. But here's one detail that I haven't heard really discussed that much. And that is for all the histrionics yesterday, for all the, you know, parties on the left yelling at Roger Goodell to do something about Dan Snyder and the people on the right kind of mocking the fact that they're even having this discussion and asking random questions. Nobody defended Dan Snyder. Yeah. There is, there is nobody who ever comes out and says, you know what? I'm for this guy. Like, not to go into politics, but like, you know, whoever's the president, there's always half of the politics, politicians who say that guy is great or that guy stinks. 
I, nobody said Dan Snyder's a good guy or he's or he's being this trumped up charges. Everybody's like, no, no, no. yeah, workplace environment is important, but you know the only issue is like, should they be having hearings? I feel like that's notable, right? Maybe this is obvious, but like, it isn't. Do you think that's notable? Yeah, no, I definitely agree with you because you know if he was a good guy, which he's clearly the villain and has been for I don't know the past few decades. I feel like there have never really been any super fans of Dan Snyder, whether they were super fans of the Redskins or Washington football team, maybe, but never of Dan Snyder. He's always kind of been a little bit of the hated owner in the NFL. And for for good reason, now that we're finding out, um, I think that is notable though, because Roger Goodell could have went up there and said, hey, we did this in-depth investigation and we found nothing. And he didn't. He went back and basically said, to the best of his knowledge, Dan Snyder hasn't been part of the operations of the team. Yet then we have, you know, Coach Rivera saying publicly that he's talked to Dan Snyder and Tanya Snyder and that they're trying to change the culture. And since he was hired, they were trying to change the culture. And that was in January 2020. But then I actually recently saw yesterday night, uh, AJ Perez at Front Office Sports posted that. Instagram of one of the employees, an executive, was in France on a yacht with three other commanders executives, and they posted this on Instagram with the hashtag work with pretty people. And so I don't know how they can possibly say the culture's changed when the day Roger Goodell testifies, that's something that comes up in the news feed. Yeah, for for sure. I and I I um I saw the that Instagram post and I haven't really processed exactly who was who was there and all that but but it always has felt like there have been two tracks within the organization there's the group that's attempting to do the normal things that you would do in a company you know like I don't know call me crazy have an HR department right one that you can actually people employees that exist and employees can feel comfortable with talking to them or just getting rid of the people who you know, just stink as human beings or let alone just coworkers and makes it a, an unsafe environment. Obviously it's been, that's been well-documented for women, but you know, for anybody to, to feel like it's like somebody, one of the testimonies, I think it was from Brian LaFamina, the former COO in 2018 said that when he showed up, he could feel like there was like an atmosphere of fear in, 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 in the building. It's important to, um, not, 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 not to deal these things. So I don't know, but on the other hand, there's always the Dan Snyder element. Like there was a point last year I've made this note. I think it was the second Washington post um, expose on, on all that was going on. And the organization put out a statement saying, Hey, we're, we recognize we've screwed up in the past. We're going to try to do the right things. And then there was a separate one where Dan Snyder, somebody for Dan Snyder's orbit is sort of just saying, well, you know, don't blame him. Like, you know, He's not to be blamed. And I think this is just such the tricky part here. And this is kind of just comes out here. There's the organization and then there's this guy, but he exactly. runs the organization. Therefore it all is connected. Even if you want to separate it out to say Jason Wright and Ron Rivera are doing good things. Exactly. Yeah. I think that's definitely part of the hard part too, is, you know, you, you want to root for this new rebranded commanders team who maybe now they have gotten a better workplace environment and they do have an HR department, but that kind of, doesn't matter when he's still connected. Dan Snyder's still connected to the team and Dan Snyder still hasn't, you know, come forward and admitted to any of his wrongs. He's just hidden on his yacht sailing around in France. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. For 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 sure. Um I think you know, I don't know for well, I guess I do know what you think cuz we already talked about this, but the audience doesn't hear <laughs> Um like whether the story ultimately really moved or not. Like are we any actual closer to whatever, either either Goodell releasing the Wilkinson report or Dan Snyder truly being in danger of, of losing his organization. I don't know that the story moved a lot yesterday. I think Goodell largely held up pretty reasonably considering he's getting badgered the whole time. I mean, he's there to answer questions, but the way they were asking questions was kind of, kind of nuts. Um, what do you make, though, of kind of where things sort of stand broadly with this topic after yesterday's event? So do you think we've cha- it's changed at all? Um, after what happened yeah I mean I think the next month is going to be very interesting especially to see whether Dan Snyder actually shows up for this deposition that he's going to be subpoenaed for or you know if Congress then has to try and force him to comply with the subpoena but I think 
I hate to say it because I know that a lot of people are probably going to disagree with me, but if I'm the other owners, I'm thinking this guy has essentially ruined the NFL from a publicity perspective. You know, it's, it's one after another, every single day, it feels like there's something new coming out about him. And at some point, you know, they might start getting a little bit fed up with it. It's not like, you know, the Redskins or the Washington football team or ever a super winning team or anything like that. Then you combine that with the allegations that they might have withheld ticket revenue from the other teams. I think, you know, if, if something bad comes out of the testimony from Dan Snyder, if he does testify, and if we hear any more allegations come out, there may or may not be, you know, a change of heart with the owners and they need three quarters of the majority vote of the fellow owners. And so, you know, that's how he would get rid of his ownership position is if the free quarters of the other NFL owners voted to remove him. And Goodell does have the ability to recommend such a vote, but the owners can also, you know, come forward. And I, I don't know, in my opinion, you know, I just think it's like enough is enough at this point, just admit it, or at least, you know, own up to it and be, have have courage to step forward and you know be respectful of these women because it's getting very very old and I think it's just going to get worse for him it's definitely getting old and I think the real well I think the question on some level for me has always been can he run out the clock because as as it stands right now based on the polls that are out there I haven't checked the poll in the last few days but I feel confident they still indicate that the house is going to flip to the GOP. And if that happens, this investigation basically is going to go away and they won't be discussing it anymore, at least certainly not in the, in any details like this. And therefore he's won't say get off the hook, but at least in terms of Congress, he'll get off the hook. And I would say the biggest, uh, the biggest help that Congress is doing in terms of the anti Snyder crowd is just keeping it alive in a big, a big way. And that allows perhaps people who were concerned, like, "Ah, I don't know, do I really want to come forward with information and I believe there are other women out there who just have been re- re- hesitant to do so. But I think if it goes away, well, now, it, you know, now I think people would be less comfortable to do so. And so the, but the question, I guess, is, can he run out the clock? It's June 23rd. The midterm elections are November. But even then, the, the, the new Congress doesn't kick in until January. So does he right. literally need to live on a yacht in France for the next eight months while there's subpoenas out there or like how much running out the clock can he do now that we've reached a point where the chairwoman of the committee, Carol Maloney is saying she's issuing a subpoena. Yeah. I know you bring up an interesting point because yesterday after she announced that I was kind of wondering how does the congressional committee, you know, issue a subpoena? Are there, is there a majority vote that they need by the other committee members? And I looked into it and congressional committees have different rules depending on what the committee is regarding who can issue the subpoena, whether there has to be a vote or the chair has to consult with other committee members. And for the Oversight and Reform Committee, which is this committee that's conducting the investigation, only the chair, who is Chairwoman Carolyn Maloney, has authority to authorize a subpoena on her own initiative and sign that subpoena. So in this case, it's basically Chairwoman Maloney's sole decision on whether or not to issue one. And we heard the comments that she made at the hearing yesterday. She's clearly fed up and it doesn't sound like she's stopping until Snyder is held accountable. So whether or not he can run out the clock until, you know, there's a new chairwoman or chairman, I don't know. I mean, January is pretty far away, in my opinion. Right. That, that, I, I wasn't convinced that they were to issue a subpoena. Obviously, not a legal scholar. I'm just trying to think of like, What's the end game here, right? At the end of the day, the people on this committee, they may be doing noble work, but do their constituents in wherever they're from actually care about them getting Dan Snyder? That would be a wonder I would have, especially, I'm not trying to sound like a politician here, but like, you know, there is a lot going on in this country right now, economically and otherwise, does it matter for them? So therefore, Mike was wondering, like, would they push it? But obviously, at least the the, the chairwoman has, and now this is going to happen, and that is notable to me that, you know, we still have a lot of time and, but we'll see. Okay. So all that said, it's a subpoena. Great. Now what? Like, do we actually, I, I, I want to 
my inclination is to say, well, it doesn't matter. He's not going to talk. I don't know. His lawyers do some lawyery stuff or he stays away from everybody. He goes into a hidden bunker or I don't know what, <laughs> like what, what, what's your view on like, actually, do you think he's actually, it's actually going to happen or what can his side do perhaps to prevent it? Is there something they can do um, in, a, in a reasonable way? Yeah. I mean, obviously he could show up and be faced with, you know, these hard hitting questions or he could show up and plead the fifth. But then, you know, in my eyes, I would be thinking if you're pleading the fifth, you're probably guilty because you don't want to say something that you've done or that you have not done to improve things. But if he doesn't show up, then they could technically cite him for contempt in Congress. Congress could then go to court and try to enforce that subpoena or Snyder's team could try and quash the subpoena. But, you know, I don't think that the court would rule in his favor for that because they would probably look at a few things, whether the committee authorized the subpoena, which in this case, Chairwoman Maloney has done, whether the subpoena is, you know, for a fact gathering or investigatory purpose in a legitimate legislative purpose. And the oversight and reform is clearly, you know, doing that because they're investigating a toxic workplace environment. They've already created a few bills to, you know, combat that, including NDAs. And lastly, it would be whether the subpoena is, you know, seeking information that is within that legislative purchase, I mean, purpose. And it seems like all answers point to yes. And so I don't think the court would likely quash the subpoena, but that could buy Stan Snyder some time, um, which at this point, he probably is going to look for unless he just wants to, you know, face it all at once by testifying. <laughs> yeah, for sure. I, I imagine as a lawyer, you might be curious, like, to look through all the documents. I don't know if you had time to do that. Did you Did you have a chance to look through the, not just the 29-page memo, but sort of the course, but the, the, the connecting documents as well? Because there's something in there that I wanted to bring up. If Either way, I'll just bring it up, but I just didn't know if you looked at it yet. I didn't have a chance to look at it yet, but I did look at the 29 pager, but let me know. Tell me about what you found in there. I'm very curious. Well, there's a lot there. And uh, one of my colleagues, uh, Michael Phillips, who's on here a lot uh, from the Richmond Times Dispatch, was digging through some of that when we were on the radio today. And one of the stories was that, (laughs) so I guess at some point, Dan Snyder got into business with the Lerner family who owns the Nationals. And apparently mm-hmm. he was upset over some aspect of it. Like he thinks maybe he got a little bit of a raw end of some business deal. Or I don't know what. Anyway, according to, and I'm not sure who this is, but looking at this is like a, a, a testimony here. The, apparently somebody was, was, was ordered or told to do to go into like Mark Lerner's suite, I guess, uh-huh. the, the, the owner and pour milk oh. on the carpet under where he would be and doing it in advance so that by the time he got there, it would have the sour smell to it. Um, you know, that, it, that sounds like a bit we could see in like a Seth Rogen movie or something. Yep. Right. Yep. So it's kind of funny, but it's also a real look into what goes on here. Right. Because it's just such an unbelievably <laughs> ridiculous move to think that as an adult, you would do this. Except that this is the same person who it appears. This was the running room or running thought that I had, and others did as well. But he was the one that leaked the John Gruden emails, among, and as well yeah. as some of the other emails. And it always was like, wait, could this possibly be true? Because if it is, he got he, this. This this issue was sort of fading off. We weren't talking about mm-hmm. it after the league fined him and suspended him, and this resurfaced everything. And I think it probably brought Congress back into the mix. And he literally, seemingly, cannot stop his pride from taking over the logic base. He probably should have even have taken the suspension from the NFL. Just say, you know what? I'm not saying I did anything, but I'm responsible for this organization. We'll move on. And this milk thing that people are laughing at is funny that somebody would do this, but it's, it's also connects to the more serious stuff like the John Gruden emails, because what, what person does these things? It's just a pattern over and over again. Um, that's why I just wanted to bring it up because it was just, <laughs> it's a humorous example, but at the same point, this is part of the problem with this guy. Yeah, no, exactly. It just shows what type of person he is. I think, I don't know if I can name off the top of my head, anyone else who would willingly go out of their way to make sure that milk was spilled (laughs) on Mr. Lerner's floor so that he had a miserable time watching the game and just smelled this the entire time. It just doesn't add up. And that's the ironic part too, is that it does seem like 
Snyder was the one that released those emails. And those were his own actions that essentially now resulted in this never ending storm that is coming after him. And, you know, it's ironic and it's almost like that's karma for you. This is what you get for, you know, trying to play the game and you unfortunately are not having great success at it. Yeah, yeah, no. And, you know, if, if I didn't use the word allegedly and all that, allegedly, but I mean, I, I, I don't know. It's it's really, you know, you, you get caught up in the moment trying to like make sense of what the important news of the day are, the day is, and then you see something like this, you're just like, what, 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 what are we, what are we doing here? Um, I, I guess as we, you know, so we'll see what happens now. So, you know, again, we're talking on a Thursday, if this hearing whether Dan Snyder shows up or not, if they actually have this uh, here and they have not set the, 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 the time yet. So we'll see what, what, ha- what happens. Uh, do you have, I guess, what would be your, I don't know what, what, it, what I'm even asking you to make a prediction on, but if you had to make a prediction on some aspect of where this thing is going, I know I sort of had you earlier say, do you think he could be in you know big trouble here? But like, what do you think is sort of the next steps that we should be kind of looking for from Congress or I guess, hypothetically Goodell, or maybe even Snyder, or we, what, put your fortune teller hat on. What do you, what do you kind of see coming? Yeah. I mean, I think more and more documents are probably going to come out. I think who knows if Snyder chooses not to testify, maybe more and more women or employees of the organization will come out of the woodworks and put forth more evidence. Just, I feel like it might just continue to pile on literally until Dan Snyder testifies, whether that's going to be next week or not. I not sure. But I do think that it's not going to stop anytime soon. And, you know, he and his lawyers can run, but they can't hide in France forever. And I, don't, I just think that it's only going to go downhill from here. There's no way it goes up. <sighs> Wacky. Um, yeah, I don't even know. Like I said, I, f- I feel like I, I can't, I don't want to make any jokes about this because this is serious topics. And, you know, there we had on one of the, former female employees on the radio today and you know it's like hey yeah. how do you live with this you have to every single time we're all looking at this as some sort of spectacle this is actually her life and she's one of these people that has to relive it over and over again it's gotta suck on the other hand it is just so absurd on a level including the performance of the representative yesterday who by the way terrible at asking questions they had roger goodell yeah. there independent of snyder they could have asked so many questions in reasonable ways including the one where the woman uh the, the congresswoman Rashida Tlaib is like screaming at him. Will you commit to getting rid of Dan Snyder? And he finally had to say, yeah. hey, I don't, I can't do that. And it's the truth. Like he, it, the bylaws are 24, the 31 owners, but instead you could ask, I am aware of the 24 owners have to do this. What can you do to facilitate a, a, a reasonable conversation to, t- to make this a fruitful discussion over his viability. Instead, you just, they almost turned Roger Goodell into a sympathetic figure there. <laughs> that stuff just drove me crazy yeah no I completely agree and then when you have representative Jim Jordan asking uh whether he has knowledge of Dave Portnoy from Barstool Sports and why the NFL bans him from games I'm thinking what does that have anything to do with this workplace investigation It, it really doesn't but I mean it was kind of funny because Roger Goodell really did get flustered there because he's well aware of who Dave Portnoy is. I mean, they've had plenty of run-ins over the past few years. So that was something else that was notable. And obviously, you know, it was trending on Twitter yesterday for sure. Right. Well, you'll let us know if it was trending on uh, TikTok, if that's even trending. Is even <laughs> I'm, I'm, not, I'm not looking there. Uh, but you should go look at the fear. How do people find you on TikTok since I brought it up before? Yeah. Tick, so TikTok, you can find us at at sports law and it's kind of connected to our content detrimental podcast so that one but then i also have my more specific attorney one that's just at steph the lawyer so pick and choose what you want the sports law one's fun <laughs> there you go also you can find stephanie on twitter at s weissenberger with an underscore at the end of that people know i can't stand the underscore but you got to do what you got to do i guess you know i guess somebody, <laughs> i guess there was another s weissenberger out there is that the problem surprisingly there was and i know that's hard to believe because my last name is definitely not a common one well you know it it happens it's a big world out there and everybody's on uh twitter uh stephanie i really appreciate it uh you've been a big help the last uh, few days and uh don't go anywhere because i don't know what's gonna happen tomorrow with this thing we may need more legal thoughts especially if carol maloney does move forward here with the subpoenas uh stephanie great job thanks so much 
Thank you for having me. Always a pleasure. All right. Joining us here on the podcast, he's one of the exciting new guys that the Washington Commanders have added. He is rookie tight end Cole Turner. And Cole, I really appreciate the time. I know you guys are, the rookies are still in town a little bit. Are you going to be able to get away from uh, from Ashburn for a bit? Or are you kind of sticking around for the summer? Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm still here in Northern Virginia right now, but I'll be heading back home to Oregon where I'm from next week um go spend go spend a few couple days with the family before things start getting crazy so <laughs> yeah well yeah you got you got to get a break because you know this, is, this will be the last one for, for for a while to say the least um just just out of curiosity just to start with how's it been going you obviously been doing rookie camp otas it's been it's had to been a whirlwind from the draft on how has this whole last couple months been going yeah, just like you said, uh, it's been a whirlwind, whirlwind, but every single step I, I've been trying to take it day by day and, you know, and just come out and put my best foot forward, be the best version of myself and try to get better every day and learn from the guys around me. So overall, it's been good. It's been amazing. The coaching staff's been awesome. You know, living in Northern Virginia, BMV has been nice too. It's been a nice change from the West Coast. So I've really enjoyed it so far, you know. I'm excited for the season. That, that's something I think that gets lost sometimes. It's not only are you making this big jump from college to the pros, but you move. You, you live completely on the other side of the country now. You're away from what you know, your friends, your family, and all that. I mean, like, I, I've basically lived here my whole life, so I can't really even comprehend what it would be like to have this brand-new job and then completely move and have my whole world upended. Yeah, it's 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 a lot different from – from the west coast for sure i'll tell you that but um not in a bad way at all it's it's fun and it's a new experience and you know i think that comes part of it being being a football player is you know that there's 32 different places in the country you could end up being so i think that's kind of the fun of it so i mean i'm excited to try something new and i'm happy to be here what's the biggest difference between here and the west coast the humidity and the bugs <laughs> <laughs> That, that that is what we are known for the humidity. I didn't even th- honestly, I don't even think it's been that bad yet. It wait, wait till we get a little deeper into the summer, and you guys are doing camp in Ashburn, so then it's really going to be a barrel of laughs for you. Um, on the field stuff, I know, like I, I reported back when before the draft that they were doing a, a private workout with you and Carson Strong, and that some of the coaches came, and Scott Turner was among those there, and. In the moment, I think we were all kind of wondering, oh, is this about the quarterback? Because obviously there's been there's been a lot of talk about possibly drafting one, which they ended up doing with Sam Howell. But they obviously were looking at you, and it full and in in hindsight, clearly they were is no disrespect to the quarterback. They were really interested in you. When did you get a sense during their draft cycle that this team was gonna giving you a, a good once over? Uh, I think uh, it started originally when when I was at the. Um, the Senior Bowl. They had um, I talked to about three or four different different guys from the Commanders. So I kind of, you know, imagine a good feel so that won't be lost. So I think um, when we had that work out, you know, I think it went really well for me. And I had a good talk with Coach uh, Castillo. Um, I I think from you know we we would be a good fit. So you know I was glad they took me and gave me opportunity. Um. Yeah, no, I mean it, it seems uh, like like it makes sense. They they needed a little more depth to tight end, and they wanted another pass catcher. And it makes sense. Carson Wentz is known to throw to to the tight end. How is that adjustment period getting used to new quarterbacks, particularly uh, Wentz, the uh, the starter? Yeah, uh, Carson's in. You know, I'm going from one Carson to another. So I mean, <laughs> he's been awesome, and uh, he's looked out for me so far. You know, so he's he's been awesome. I, I really like him. I like him, Taylor. You know, and I and I did I went through the whole pre-draft process with uh, Sam. We're represented by the same same guy, so I've known Sam for a while now too. Spent a lot of time around him, so it's been really good. You know, getting with those guys, kind of working on some chemistry. You know, understanding how they throw the ball, how they want me to run a certain route. So, you know, I I love working with those guys. I think you know we're gonna do a lot of big things together. You said Carson's kind of been looking out for you, Carson Wentz. How, how, what, is that, uh, what does that mean in terms of, like, getting you the ball or, like, telling you kind of how to, uh, as a rookie, how to kind of navigate life uh, in the real world? Like, how's that, how does that, uh, how's he looking out for you? Yeah, I think both. Uh, he's he's made sure he's, you know, been the one throwing me the ball in routes on air and, 
he also, you know, he'll take me to the side, tell me something that, that he likes about what I just did or what he wants me to do a little different when he's in there. Um, just, it, it means a lot coming from a starter, you know, a guy that has been successful in the league for him to do something like that for me being a, you know, a fifth round rookie tight end for him to do that. You know, he doesn't have to do those kind of things, but I think it kind of shows the leader he is and the guy he is. So, um, he's been amazing so far. Um, when we see you, 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 the one-handed catches are pretty, are pretty notable. You're, you're a big guy, you're a tall target, but you also have good hands. Um, what, not saying that's all you do, but like, what, what is it about one-handed catches that you seem to be able to, to have some success with? Uh, yeah, I mean, I don't know. I I just always kind of been like a fun, unique style of player, you know, that kind of makes, uh, you know, I'll make a pretty uh, spontaneous play every once in a while for the team. So, you know, that's kind of just been my ammo my whole life. So, you know, hopefully I can keep bringing that to the NFL. Gotcha. What's your, what's your read on the, on the tight end room? Obviously Logan Thomas is is recovering um, from his injury, but he said a lot of nice things. It's a really young group though. Otherwise, I mean, John Bates is a second year guy, same as Samus Reyes, but they're the old guys in the room other than Logan Thomas. What's it like kind of being in this really young group? Uh, can you repeat that one more time? Sorry about that. No, no problem. I was just saying, other than Logan Thomas, who has said a lot of nice things about you guys, you guys are a really young or young room, uh, especially at tight end. You know, John Bates is a second-year guy, and he's like the vet. What's it like kind of being around a bunch of guy, a bunch of young guys in that room? Yeah, man, it's good. It's just a lot of us are, you know, we're fired up and we want to try to make our own our own mark in the league. Obviously Logan's already done that going on to the ninth season and being successful in multiple places. So it's good to have a guy to learn from like that. And just like you said, John is the next step in line. John's only been around for a year, but when you're around John, you can tell that he has a veteran presence and he's a guy that's very mature and he's been successful in the offense. So, you know, those are perfect guys to learn from. And, you know, they, at the same time, they're also great guys off the field. You know, they, they help you out, ask you if you need a ride, or if you need to help with anything. So, I think uh, working around those guys, they make the transition a lot easier. Um, what's the thing for you? It looks like pass catching is a, is a pretty natural thing for you. What's the thing coming into the league as a tight end that you're kind of going to focus on? I don't know if it's specifically over this next month, but what, what's, what are the things you think you kind of need to work on the most uh, heading into training camp in the season? Uh, I think um, just first thing is, you know, I feel like I'm pretty confident with the playbook, but at the end of the day, you know, I, I haven't – step foot in a real game situation so I mean I, I want to be as confident as I am as I can be with the playbook before I'm set out there you know and I want to work on I still want to work on some of my, my footwork and the blocking I think it's been getting a lot better um, having a coach like coach Castillo who has been an O-line coach for over 20 years in this league so it really helps having him kind of showing me some tips and tricks and watching film with him and going through different drills that that he's been doing over the years so I think I think as far as blocking, it's just something that I wasn't asked to do a lot of in, in my scheme in college. So just getting more and more comfortable with that over the next couple of months before we strap it up for the first game. Gotcha. Uh, let me ask you a couple of just like sort of silly questions and I'll let you go. Uh, you're on Twitter. I don't know how active you are, but you're, you're on. I see some tweets and stuff. Um, who is somebody on Twitter that doesn't follow you that you wish did? You can pick anybody you pick anybody you want. Oh, man. Um I'll go with uh, I'll go with um, uh, Elon Musk. Really? Okay. Well, he he he's he's pretty famous uh, in, in the news. Well, what about him? He obviously uh, there's a lot going on there with Tesla, with the with the rockets, Twitter, a bunch of stuff. Well, why him? Uh, he could probably help me out with some business ventures off the field. <laughs> gotcha. Do you, are, are you interested in getting a Tesla one day? Hey, maybe one day if he wants to work something out, we definitely can. <laughs> fair, fair enough. Um, you, you obviously stand out for a few reasons. One of them is you got that uh, curly hair. D- d- wh- how long have you been kind of growing that? Yeah, so the the whole thing with with my hair kind of started um, during COVID. I was just like, uh, let me grow it out because I never really had it longer than you know a couple inches. So I was like, let me grow it out and see what it looks like longer. And um, I grew it out and then I went back to school with it long and everyone, everyone liked it, you know, so I kind of just kept it from there. And, you know, I, I don't think it's going anywhere anytime soon, but it's definitely become kind of a topic of discussion around me sometimes. So 
it's not a bad thing, but I, I, I enjoy it and I like it and the fans seem to like it too. Yeah, no, I, I, I like everybody else. I kind of grew out my hair a little bit during COVID, but I, ha- I can't grow it down. It, it just, it does, it doesn't do anything. It just, it looks like a mess at some point. That the, I just had to get rid of it. So I'm jealous when anybody has fun hair that they can, uh, <laughs> can do something with. Um, l- 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 lastly, I guess just what, uh, who, who is your favorite athlete, any sport growing up, and what was it about, uh, you know, what was it about that in, that person that made you uh, kind of gravitate towards them? Uh, I think definitely my, my favorite football athlete growing up was uh, Calvin Johnson just because uh, he was a bigger guy. I mean, I, I grew up playing receiver most of my life, so I always I was always the tallest receiver out there. You know, I, I loved how he played. I loved how they just threw him up the ball and he went and got it. Uh, he was someone I, when I was a kid I wanted to be just like. And then obviously being from uh, from Portland, Oregon, Damian Lillard was was all of our all of our hero, and he would always come back and and do stuff in the community, hold events, you know, for all the kids. And I, I really like that part of him as well. I think I want to incorporate something like that where I can make an off the field impact too, like him. So I would definitely say those two. Got it. Good, good, good answers. It's always, it's always a good time to be for, for Dame time, uh, to say the least. Uh, Coleman, I really appreciate the time. Enjoy. Again, I'm just really saying like enjoy the summer, so to speak, but enjoy whatever time off you have. It's going to get busy for you at the end of July, and uh, we're excited to see uh, you get back out of the field. Thanks so much. Oh, yeah, I appreciate you. All right. Many thanks to our guest, Stephanie Weisenberger, attorney, uh, talking about everything that's going on with the commanders in Capitol Hill, as well as rookie tight end Cole Turner, who I do think is going to be a pretty interesting player for this team this year, especially if Logan Thomas is – uh, unable to start the year. Um, lastly, let's just get to the Wizards really quick. You know, I probably should have put this at the top because it is the NBA draft, but I try to be respectful that this is largely a Commanders podcast. And I know there's a lot of people who are just here for the Commanders talk, but, you know, you got to talk about the Wizards a little bit here and there. Uh, at least I do. Uh, NBA draft held Thursday night. The Wizards had the 10th pick. And for all the talk that they were going to look to try to move the pick to to get a veteran point guard and move up in the draft, ultimately that didn't happen. They stayed pat and took Wisconsin guard Johnny Davis. Uh, look, the, he was the Big Ten Player of the Year. Had some so, some big time stats. His shooting numbers are not particularly impressive. Um, he's considered to be a hard worker. I. I I am a very casual observer of the NBA draft at this point and, and of college basketball. So I'm not going to be pretend I'm somebody who's sat here and broke down all the tape or watched, you know, tons of Wisconsin games. Um, I, I think the Wizards needed a guard. I think we all understand that. Johnny Davis is not a true point guard. I, I understand that true point guards don't even really exist anymore, but it feels like of a combo guard, he's more of a two than a one, which is, of course, similar to Bradley Beal. Um, I'm not saying they can't forge a combination together, but you know I, I would love to to maximize Bradley Beal by having a truer lead guard out there. I think the Wizards would as well, and we'll see if they can accomplish that this offseason. Um, you know, the good news is like they needed depth at the position no matter what. I, I guess I'm just somewhat underwhelmed by the choice. I hope to be proven wrong, but if you look back at their last, I mean, Johnny Davis almost seemed like such the obvious pick for the Wizards. When you look at their last four drafts, well, go back to 2015. At that point, when you looked at some of their more recent drafts, they'd gone one ex- sort of to the extremes. They either went with crazy athletes who didn't seem to fundamentally have a good grasp of basketball, how to play the basics. That would be Jan Vesely and Kelly Oubre. I know we're going back way back to Vesely in 2011. But you had Vesely in 2011, then in 2012, you had Bradley Beal, who obviously has turned out to be everything you could have wanted. But because of Bradley Beal's size, or lack thereof, and some le- relatively limited athletic traits, only relative to NBA players, not to normal society, of course, Bradley Beal's a more of a safe, conventional pick. Otto Porter, that came the same year, very much the same way. It was a It was a safe high floor pick rather than in a crazy ceiling pick. Then they went in 2015, they get Kelly Oubre, it's back to the Vesely model, where it's a guy who's got, you know, athleticism can jump out of the gym, but doesn't really seem to understand how to play basketball, to be honest. Then they didn't have a, essentially didn't have a first round pick for a bit. And then you get, right, uh, unless I'm forgetting somebody here, then you get to 2018. 
Right, because they traded away their first-round picks for Marching Gortat and Mar- Marquise Morris. 2018, they get back in the first-round business. They draft Troy Brown, who is very much a – the hope was he was going to be a high-floor player, but he definitely didn't have a, a high ceiling. Um, you know, I, I guess you could say that didn't really quite work out. They were able to spin him for Daniel Gafford, but the point is that's the type of player he was. Rui Hachimura then the next year, same deal. We'll still we'll see where he's going. I'm not saying there's without hope, but at this point I think it's fair to write off the ceiling part of this, right? You're just hoping he can be a a solid whether it's a solid starter or a player off the bench, but he's not a guy that you're I don't think is going to be carrying this team anytime soon. Same with Denny Avdia, he's only been in the league 2 years. He made big strides last year especially defensively. But again, Low floor or low ceiling, high floor. And Corey Kispert, he only played he's only played the one year, and I thought he did some good things. He brings a lot of confidence to the table. He can shoot as well. But same deal. It feels like those three guys, you might be looking at, you know, maybe one starter in like your seventh, eighth, or ninth man off the bench, right? Which are reasonable things to have. But if this team is going to make a leap, you can't you gotta have somebody with a little more upside. That's why for the draft. Again, casual observer of this, but based on what you read and, and talk to people, at least in my case, I had a chance to talk to some people around the league. Um, you know, Shaden Sharp, the wing from Kentucky who never actually played for Kentucky. He's the kind of guy that had the big upside. Jeremy Sochan, the forward from Baylor with the blonde hair. Um, I know that's who David Aldridge is a big fan of, um, who he wanted the Wizards to get. And I had a scout. Uh, tell me right before the draft that that's who, if he was available for the Wizards, he would pick. Alas, he went ninth. Uh, Sharp went uh, two picks before that. And in between, Dyson Daniels, who played with the G League Ignite last year, sort of a, not really a point guard, but a 6'8 guard, and I always liked those kind of big guys. He was another guy that would have liked. He went eighth. So the three players that I thought would be, from an upside perspective, the most interesting, went seven through nine, leaving the Wizards at 10 to take Ultimately, what I said, it feels like a very a very obvious pick for the Wizards, a conventional pick. It doesn't mean it'll be the wrong pick. It doesn't mean Johnny Davis, who made big, huge strides from a freshman to a sophomore year, can't take this up a notch. It just feels like for a team that once, the, once Bradley Beal stays, we're assuming that's going to happen, signs that max extension, and you have Kristaps Porzingis, you're kind of locked in. Now, that said... Free agency has not started yet, and maybe things can change there. You know, you could still make a move. I I personally think the move for the Wizards that they need to consider is what to do with Kyle Kuzma. I think he's both their biggest trade ship and their one that it would be a proactive move to move on from him. Kyle Kuzma was really good last year. He proved big time in the clutch. You know that's important to me. Uh, Above, you know, flashy things a player might do for the first, you know, 40 minutes of a game. But Kyle Kuzma is entering what effectively will be the last year of his contract. He's an option for the next year, and I don't see him taking that option. It's about $13 million a year. He'd have to have probably an injury or something like that to to drop out. And even then, I don't know if it would happen. Can the Wizards justifiably pay Kyle Kuzma north of $20 million if that's where the money goes? You're already paying Bradley Beal a ton, presuming he stays. You're already giving Kristaps Porzingis a bunch of money. I know it's not for a ton of years. But, like, does Kyle Kuzma, does, does that trio move the needle? I think the point is, I don't think it does. I think they're looking at, like, a six-seed upside ceiling in the East. Now, again, obviously, we, we all get it. You know, things can change, not just for the Wizards, but for other teams around the league as well. You know, um, we don't know what's going to happen with Brooklyn. A lot of the assumptions about kind of what the Wizards' ceiling is is that the Nets with Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving are going to be another uh, a major contender. Well, we don't even know if either one of those guys will be on the team next year at this point, based on how it's going, it's going uh, over there. We don't maybe quite know yet what's going to happen with James Harden in Philly. Uh, but, you know, Milwaukee's still good. Boston's still good. Obviously, they just made the NBA Finals. Miami is a perennial contender. The Bulls made big strides this year, even though they kind of faded off a little bit late. You've got the uh, Atlanta Hawks um, and so on. So uh, I, I feel like the Wizards... To me, if they want to make a bold move, taking Kuzma and maybe even Johnny Davis and moving that for a bigger player, I think, not, I don't mean size-wise, I mean a bigger talent, star, what have you, I think it would be a good move if you're going to keep Bradley Beal. But otherwise, you're looking at a world where Kyle Kuzma is going to get paid a ton of money in the 2023 offseason. And again, if you're talking about where this is going, it just feels like that's a bit 
it feels like you're just locking in a lower ceiling the way you you, you do this. And that's circling back to the Johnny Davis part of this. I have no idea if Shaden Sharp or one of those other guys will be a big deal. Um, but that's the type of upside I wish they would have gotten. And to be clear, I don't, I haven't mentioned anybody they passed on. I honestly don't know that anybody who's there was that particularly interesting. It's more, I'm probably more looking at this, like, could you have traded this pick and gotten something for it? Now, maybe they still can, right? Maybe, maybe there's a world in which they've talked to teams and said, hey, we're going to, you know, are you interested in Johnny Davis if we can make a trade here? And they said yes, and that worked with the Wizards as well. So they take a, they take this guy and maybe he's something they can move. I know there was a lot of talk pre-draft about guys like Malcolm Brogdon, um, my colleagues at The Athletic mentioned Monty Morris from the Nuggets pre-draft. Uh, Colin Sexton from Cleveland is a name I heard. Could get moved. So, it's not over. I'm just kind of unmoved. I will say I was excited for their second round pick in that I already, I don't even, I don't have the list in front of me. I've already forgotten the young man's name. He's 18-year-old from Congo, Congo, I believe. An 18-year-old center. I saw some YouTube clips. It looks fun. But the larger point for me is, it's an international stash. This is 100% the way they need to go. Uh, I've been saying this for a while. I've made this point to my friend last night. I can make a case that Aaron White was a better draft pick for the Wizards and Kelly Oubre in that with Oubre, the end result was he played, you know, he, he gave them some good, you know, decent years on the court, but ultimately they traded him for a deal that netted them not much big, big picture long term. Aaron White, the they drafted him. Now, he's not a typical international player because he played college basketball, but they drafted him, sent him overseas, and then he, they traded his rights in the deal that got you Davis Bertans when Davis Bertans was, you know, the best shooter in the world for a year. I know that's, I know Steph Curry lives, but you know what I mean. Bertans was amazing. Forget the fact that they then signed him to a bad contract. I'm just saying that Bertans was a huge deal that year. And, you know, to a degree, it gave them, at least in theory, another building block. It didn't work out, of course. But my point is that these international stashes, when you draft a player in the second round who's going to then play for you, like Cassius Winston, that guy better play. Because if he doesn't, then you lose the rights, and a lot of these second-round picks don't work out. But when you go over the international stash, you own those guys' rights forever, and you can throw them in the trade. And that's the only thing the Wizards offered up, I believe, in the Bertans trade was the rights to Aaron White. That is that is a huge opportunity for down the line. So for me, I have no idea what this 18-year-old center is going to ever do. I suspect nobody does. Maybe he turns out to be the next... Big, 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 you know, he's the Nikola Jokic for the Wizards. I have no idea. But at a minimum, he's going to stay overseas, I imagine. We may never see him play in the States. And the Wizards get to keep his rights. He can throw in that chip in various um, trades down the line. That, my friends, is smart movement there. So that's how I would look at it. I will say that the Wizards right now, it looks like their roster, they've got about eight to nine players on this team that you feel like you kind of know that. And then everything else is a bit more of a mystery. You know, you, I mean, I'm not including guys like Isaiah Todd, who will presumably be around after being drafted in the first pick of the second round last year, or, um, you know, some of the other, you know, dart throws that they have of Vernon Carey. We'll, you know, we'll see, or Cassius Winston himself. Um, we'll see. So th- there's still room to go. They still need to figure out some point guards. I may even add as many as two, uh, a starter and a backup. You know, w- will they bring back Ish Smith? Howell Neto or Thomas Sadoransky seems like there's been some noise about Sadoransky staying overseas. We'll see. Uh, so there's still moves for the wizards to make. And I'm not saying Johnny Davis is a buster. It was a horrible, horrible pick. It just feels like kind of the exact pick. We kind of figured the wizards would take low ceiling, high floor. The kid made big strides last year. So maybe we're wrong about the ceiling, but that's just the way that it felt that the wizards were in this conventional pick. And again, I, they got a little, a little unlucky. I believe they would have taken Jeremy Sochan. If he slipped one more pick, he didn't life moves on. And we're going to move on to the end of the show. Thanks so much again to Stephanie Weissenberg and Cole Turner. Thanks to everyone here for checking out the podcast. Um, I will be taking off some time coming up, but I, with the same point, we'll keep the podcast churning out. So I've got, I've already got a fun guest interviewed uh, for next week. Excited to have you guys hear that. But until next time, see ya.